I think a lot of times founders don't do a good job of advocating for themselves. You could have a phenomenal product, you could have a phenomenal platform, but if, if you haven't done a good job of getting your story well-crafted and getting it into the mouths of other people where they can tell your story for you, right? Your story has to be good enough that you, you can tell it to somebody and they'll remember it and want to tell it to somebody else because that's how we find deals. Somebody remembers somebody else's story and they tell it to us. And I think that's really what I would tell founders to be thoughtful about. It's not, you know, elevator pitch today, I don't think is really a thing. It's like, how do you tell your story and how do you get that story to kind of be pollinated and passed around? This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, the founders, funders, and contributors and the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and today we are going global. Sometimes you gotta go planet Earth in order to find it in the Rockies. Today I am talking to the Global Accelerator Network. Now, not all 145 member accelerators, but rather two of the visionaries behind GAN and GAN Ventures. Today we have Pat Riley and Riley Flynn, and they will be sharing with us a little bit about the founders that they're funding in the Rockies, as well as helping us learn more about an emerging venture ecosystem with no ego and lots of eagerness. Here's to the next startup hub in Denver, Colorado. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Pat, to, to start off, why don't you tell me a little bit about what uh, exactly GAN is and how it came about? Yep. So less. So GAN, as you said, is the global accelerator network. In we've got a, a mission and a vision to empower the world's accelerators, so that they can give startups the power to create and grow their businesses wherever they call home. So. That means we work with about 145 accelerators all over the world, ensuring that they can run the best accelerators possible in places like Buenos Aires and Cairo, Egypt and London, and of course here in Denver and Boulder, Colorado. So it's really fun. And along with that too, we have we now also run the Global Startup Studio Network. So we work with 45 startup studios and we also have a bunch of Fortune 500 companies that we're actively connecting with the startups that have gone through GAN. And I'll just end with this, that collectively, those 145 accelerators and 45 startup studios have helped 17,000 startups globally. So just cool seeing all that success the, around the, the world. The underachievers of season two on Found in the Rockies, clearly. I mean, you guys aren't doing enough. But anyway, nice try. Amazing job. And so, so Riley, what... You're with GAN Ventures, so I mean, I naturally I think the readers could come to a conclusion of well, what, what that is. And actually, you guys are both co-founders of GAN Ventures. Riley, you're the managing partner. What does GAN Ventures do? Yeah, and we both are managing partners. Uh, GAN Ventures is the effectively the investment arm of GAN. We Pat and I joined up about six years ago now with the idea to layer some capital on and and ideally we wanted it to be catalytic capital we looked across our our network and we had some long conversations with a number of different stakeholders and what we consistently heard was it's not that there's not capital in these various regions or communities the problem is there there's nothing that kind of moves it off the sidelines and so if you take memphis tennessee or any other kind of area that's not necessarily known as a startup hub what you'll see is there's this 
layer of money that is interested in startups, but doesn't have any sort of signal to know what is good and what is not. And so what we set out to do was to be an early check, a momentum check, for founders who are coming primarily out of our accelerator network so that they then would have a head start as they go out and talk to family offices, angel investors, other folks who maybe don't have the experience that that we have with betting a company and moving on. So it's been, it, yeah, we're in our first fund and it's been a great ride. We've invested in 43 companies uh, and those companies have come from all different continents and states and countries. And it's just been a lot of fun to see the entrepreneurial ecosystems across the board. Amazing. I mean, certainly you guys got deal flow, that's for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Pat, how, it's fascinating to me though, why Colorado? Like how did this all end up, GAN, GAN Ventures? How did it end up in Colorado? Yeah. So because of my wife, my wife was working for for President Bush in Washington, D.C. And when Bush left, of course, if you're working for the president, you have to go too. So she left her job and said I, she decided she wanted to go be a mental health psychologist. And she ended up getting into a master's program in Denver. Um, and along the way, I then joined a startup out here. We ended up building that company and ultimately selling that company but I got to know the guys at Techstars while, while we were out here. And the guys at Techstars said, hey, listen, there are all these accelerators out in the world. What would it look like for us to bring them together? And would you want to come in and run that community? So they're the ones that ultimately got me set up with GAN and I fully took it over January 1st, 2014. So why Colorado? That's because we were here. And honestly, because Techstars was here and they, they, they said, why don't you come in and run this thing? Very cool. And well, and because Colorado's awesome too, right? I mean well, it's a close second to Montana, we'll say. Thank you. Thank you for that. So so interesting. So you, when I think about accelerators, I think it was like 06 was Techstars, I think. Yeah. Uh, the, only, the only real program that predated was probably Y Combinator, I think, a year prior, 05. So really, the, the origin of accelerators was like, was kind of tech stars. How have accelerators changed since 05? So I'll answer that in a few different ways. I think, first of all, you, you still see so many programs, so many accelerators that operate that similar model, you know, right around 10 companies, surround them with 40 to 80 mentors, three to six month long program. I mean, I think what's super interesting is that if you have a startup with an idea that has some product market fit and you're looking to go from point one to point 10, there's still today, it does not seem like there's a better option than an accelerator, which is just a, a really interesting thing to think about. And I think that's why you see the model continuing to prove successful with Techstars still doing the same thing, with most of our accelerators still doing the same thing. And yet you're starting to see flavors like people doing scale-up accelerator programs where you go in for a week and then leave for a month and go in for a week and leave for a month. You're starting to see a lot more corporate accelerators that are saying, hey, we're, we're going to work with you again for a month and then maybe you go away for six and come back for a month and go and you know go away for six. But I still feel like what you still have with the accelerator is cohort-based programming where you're surrounded by mentors and it has a usually defined start and end date. But then there's flavors like set of, of how they actually how they, how they actually work. But yeah, I, we're still seeing another, in, at least in GAN, 1,700 companies a year come out of GAN. And the average company is, right now we're seeing 80% of companies survive five years or more coming out of GAN accelerators. 
the, you know, the statistics don't lie, especially at scale. You guys have really some amazing statistics. But how I'm curious, Riley, how do you even triage that many companies? I mean, these all 1,700 have met some bar for entry, right? Because they've gone through a, a program. How do you qualify investments or what do you look for? Yeah, we, we're really privileged in the sense that we do have uh, a fairly large deal flow uh, pipeline. But we also acknowledge that every single company in that pipeline is unique. Those they're like they're founded by humans that have dignity. And so really we come at it from the standpoint of we want to honor each and every one of those entrepreneurs to the extent that we can. So yes, we have all kinds of constraints. Right now we're a small fund with two partners and limited resources and limited investment capital in terms of matching up with the opportunity we have. But we try really hard to engage across our community. We seek leverage through our accelerators and we really seek to get a signal from the accelerators. And so we'll spend time cultivating the relationship with the accelerator. We'll go, we'll do office hours, et cetera. And then we have the opportunity to have a conversation with the accelerator. And this is, if you're a founder out there, this is really uh, one of the best ways to get in with an investor is to have somebody who the investor knows make the intro, right? It's not rocket science at all. But if the accelerator operator who we know and trust, who we've known for a decade plus, especially on that side, says like, hey, guys, you really got to look at one of these companies or you got to look at, you got to talk to this woman or, or man. It's a no brainer to kind of cut through. So that referral system is really what cuts our, our deal flow considerably and helps us make sure we're spending our time effectively and efficiently. Uh, but even beyond that, it's a lot of, we have an application system. We did that pretty early on. That's difficult because it's hard to honor the humanity of each entrepreneur when they're applying through a form. But we thought it was really important that they have the opportunity without our buy to submit key information. And so we've been doing that from the beginning of this fund and it has proved uh, effective for us. But yeah, it's really about getting the referral getting the data on the company, and then moving them through our, our systems and our processes. Makes sense. And, and on, the, on that note, in terms of initial sourcing or finding these founders that, I mean, really at the early stage is a founder-driven founder kind of investment thesis, right? Founder personality, the, those sorts of things. Like what, Pat, can you talk to that? Like any specific or special takeaways that you found? Yeah, I, I think what we, we found four traits of founders that at least sit really well for us right, in this first one. The first one is deep authenticity. And I think what we always sort of knew this was important, but when we actually look back at our fund and who seem to be the founders that are taken off the most, there's almost a, there, there really seemed to be a direct correlation between authentic founders and companies that are taking off. I think the second thing we found is a, a we'll say a deep seated passion for what they're doing. And you can interpret this as almost like a lame, it, it almost sounds lame as you say this, but I think what we're craving is Riley early on came up with this description of it where he said, it's like where founders know and care more about the product than other people think is normal, right? And you just go like, ultimately, you're just constantly going like, like we invested in a grill company and the guy was literally it, it studying grills for 10 years of his life. Right. And you just go, OK, this guy knows a lot. We, we invest in another company, a uh, clothing company where the guy's a third generation threader. His, his great grandfather literally no, studied thread his whole life. So there's this weird passion. 
And I think the final thing we look for is, is a clear North Star. I think founders, a lot of times, it's all you can be all over the place. And I think we're, we as fund managers liked a clear North Star. Doesn't seem like you will be waffling a lot. I know there will be product iteration, but just a very a strong commitment to, to your beliefs. And I think there's a fourth criteria here, which is maybe somewhat related to the founder, but also the business. Which is this a 10x to 100x company? Is this a 10x to 100x problem? And making sure that number one, the founder realizes that, but also too that the founder can communicate that, and the product and market, of course, actually lead to 10x to 100x. But I think what we're craving is is the founder able to describe this 10x to 100x problem and solution. Yeah, man, that'd be a fun cohort. Get that threader and the griller in the same room and talk strategy. Amazing. Ah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> what What advice would you give to, I mean, the, I, I love the attributes. I love kind of, or, or thinking through like, what does it take? What other advice would you give to founders that are considering, that are sort of trying to self-select or self-opt in to accelerator program? Like, is it right for any advice that for considering that? Yeah, this is where, I, I mean, this is a question I get probably weekly. And my, my, I always ask a question back, which is, what does your company need? Does your company need product market fit? Does your company need connections to corporates? Does your company need connections to investors? Does your company want to go into a new geography that you're not there today? It does your, is your company looking for peer validation? And I just go, I think you have to start there because and, and, I go, it's just like a university, right? Like Riley went to University of Virginia, which is not as good of a college as the University of Delaware, which is where I went to. And I think at the end of the day, right, like there's different reasons we went to each college. And to say that like his college experience and mine are the same, it's, they weren't at all. So I think- Wait, just, You had Joe Flacco at the University and, of and, Well, sorry, and Joe Biden less. So I think between the two of them, right? <laughs> Like it's just Sorry, like the two most famous grads. There they are. Yes. Well, the two most famous shows in the world by far. So long story short, I'm going, um, yeah, I think you have to ask yourself, what do you, what do you need first? And then go out to the fact finding mission for the accelerators. I see. Yeah. Makes sense. So what about Riley? I want to go back to sourcing. Cause I still think this is fascinating to me to like, as a regional fund, my firm, like we're very narrow in our region. A global, like you couldn't be more broad and then sort of also industry agnostic, but what are you finding, like any interesting trends or data in like where you're finding deals or opportunities to invest on this massive sort of global fire hose? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, first of all, like we, again, we have these regional partners, we have these local partners. And I think like even a regional fund has, you, you have the places you go to find the deals, right? You have the relationships that you trust because even in a place like the Rockies, it's, you just can't know all the founders. And, and so our first thing is just constantly cultivating those relationships. And so pre COVID, we spent a lot of time traveling and we're, we have the privilege that we have the GAN team who, who Pat leads and it's a team of 10 plus people who do uh, spend all their time thinking about how they can add value to these startup ecosystems all around the world and who also do a great job of putting on events, both virtual and in person uh, around the world. And so I, I think the first thing, if I'm kind of putting my founder hat on, the first thing that I, I would say for you is like, go to these events, right? Like if there are events in your region, go check them out, see what they're like, because you never know when somebody like 
you or me is out there looking for founders. And so this, the first real thing is put yourself into the flow, put yourself into a situation where you can get noticed, where you can build relationships. And then the second thing is like, know how to tell your story. I think a lot of times founders don't do a good job of advocating for themselves. You could have a phenomenal product, you could have a phenomenal platform, but if, if you haven't done a good job of getting your story well-crafted and getting it into the mouths of other people where they can tell your story for you, right? Your story has to be good enough that you, you can tell it to somebody and they'll remember it and want to tell it to somebody else because that's how we find deals. Somebody remembers somebody else's story and they tell it to us. And I think that's really what I would tell founders to be thoughtful about. It's not, you know, elevator pitch today, I don't think is really a thing. It's like, how do you tell your story and how do you get that story to kind of be pollinated and passed around? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's very simple, but also elegant. I've never heard it, you know, quite articulated that way, but you're right. It's so much about storytelling. Pat, what about... Any, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you're a very, obviously I read your blog. You're, I've always admired how data-driven you are, despite the fact that you're a very qualitative, soft kind of guy too. What's the data telling you? Any interesting insights or like unexpected yeah, insights? I like to say soft and strong, just for the record, less. I stand corrected. <laughs> no, it's, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I'll just talk about our fund for a few minutes. The, the companies that took, have taken off I think to Riley's point, did so much work to understand their why ever before in ever before coming for investment. And here's what I mean, right? We invested in a space company that's doing transportation between low orbit and high orbit, right? And this is truly like a space. The woman who runs the company is she's a scientist and knows this world through and through. So had a super clear why. And but not only that, she's so smart. But like, but for the layperson can go, oh yeah, I'm doing transportation between low orbit and high orbit, and we can get behind that. I think about another group we invested in, Omnia, based in the Midwest. In Omnia, you can get on Omnia's site, put in exactly where you want to go fishing, and it tells you the exact tackle you need and how to buy it. I need exactly that. Exactly, I need that I need, dad. When you think about dads who are trying to go with their kids and yep. want to make sure that they're going to be successful, or moms, like it just sets you up for success. Right, or we go back to this grill company, right? The fact that the CEO along the way, Ben, has been, was literally in the charcoal business for 10 years, knew all about low emission charcoal grilling and actually found a way to make it where he went and said, you know what? I actually know a way to make charcoal be as precise as an electric grill. I'm going to marry the two and make a grill out of it. So now his grill is precision, precision charcoal grilling. But I can go, but here's what's interesting, right? It's this deep why that each of these three founders have, but the story that I can now share on this podcast and you go, I got exactly what they do. And it's because the founder did the hard work to get there. Yeah. The simplicity It's like the uh, five words to a five-year-old, you know, can you, yeah. Can you articulate the why? It's, it's hard, but it's important. Les, here's what I would add. Look, we see thousands of deals a year. And you keep asking these questions around data-driven. Well, we absolutely do the analysis, right? The company submits a lot of quantitative deal points, like how much are they raising? What's the valuation? What's their current burn rate? And we analyze all that. But like, how do you cut through the noise? Because if you just are, if, if you, even if you're just saying, hey, do you, are you in our strike zone quantitatively? There's an incredible amount of qualitative analysis that's required because we are in a data-scarce environment in the early stage. 
in the early stage, they're, cert- they're just absolutely are not the data points. And this is what founders really struggle with in telling their story is they go, well, I don't have the financials. I don't have the, well, I would just encourage you. That's why you're creating your own momentum. You are, you're waking up every day and trying to overcome the friction of basically having nothing and trying to create something out of it. Right. And so that's why the qualitative matters so much because qualitative is what overcomes the friction. It's in many ways, it's the oil for the engine that helps you kind of bring other people on board, help them believe in what you're doing so that you can acquire customers, so you can hire employees, and ultimately so that you can get investment from folks like us on this podcast. Yeah. So, we talked about the why, we talked about the some of the criteria that helps founders sort of stand out. What else, like, is there anything else more existential that's like, yes, this is paramount. I mean, I think about the world we live in with climate, COVID, social inequities, like all this other stuff. Is there any way, does that stuff matter? Like what, your thoughts? Do you, free, jump ball, anybody? Yeah, it, it well, I'm going to, I'll answer this in two ways. I think number one, we have also just data on where we're finding companies. So I think that's just an interesting data point we can talk about in an hour later. But yeah, I, I, th- I think less to, to your point, it's becoming more and more of something that I think investors and startups are paying attention to. I think in this first fund, I brought up those four things we're looking for, authenticity, passion, clear North Star, and a 10x to 100x return. But if you notice there, there's no lens, we'll say for, for redemption. Right? There's no lens for, for we'll say, wholeness. And, and I think what Riley and I have realized is that you can go build a lot of companies that humans like, but are horrible for humankind. So I think as we start thinking about what's next, so much of what we're trying to do is what does it mean for us to build a, and invest in companies that we say are building a more whole economy? And it's economy in which our systems are responsive to the needs, potential, and dignity of all people. And I think that'll be a big focus of what's next. But I think for right now, we're, we're just in the stages of going, what does that mean? How do you, what types of tech products give people dignity? Well, probably ones that allow people to get home easier. Probably ones that allow people to communicate easier. Probably ones that allow people to have better education. Probably ones that allow people to feel like they're being heard and not... so. Those are, we're in the beginning of those fun stages, but I think less it's, it's it'll be a fun lens to play with. Companies that allow us to be more human, right? I mean, at its core. And, and, and not just the select few. And I think that's what you saw, right, especially in the last election or two, is there are people who are very much being left out by technology. And how do we make sure that our tech systems are responsive to the needs, potential, and dignity of all people? Right, not just the people that are in our cities or, or that are following a certain political belief. Yeah, beautiful thought. What? So I want to kind of shift gears. I mean, I, one thing I love about getting that perspective from you guys because of your sort of global mission and purpose, it's, I think it's fantastic for all of our listeners in the region. But it, this is found in the Rockies, so I want to yeah. vector us a little bit back towards Colorado and just the Rockies in general. And, and Riley, what's, the, what's your view of the future for venture in, in Colorado or more broadly in the Northern Rockies? Like, where is it going? Where is it headed? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm incredibly bullish on it. I think we have something that a lot of regions, regions long for, and that's a density and a history. 
And really part of the reason that accelerators are effective is they create a density of resource and relationship around companies. So what I mean by that is there's a lot of different types of people who can help the company. There's a lot of people who know about startups who are all in the same room or in the same area. Well, we have that in spades in the Rockies because of work that people who've gone before us have done. Even if we're really honest, there are a number of people who are here in in Colorado, specifically for Pat and I, who've shaped our investment thesis, who've helped us onboard us and what being an early stage investor looks like. And even some of the more kind of holistic things that, that are in our thesis or in our analysis come from men and women who have been on the ground longer than we have helping founders. And so I think that has shaped us. Inevitably, that also shapes the ecosystem. And so when we think long-term about what's happening here, I, I think about building soil. And if you know anything about gardening or farming, soil is built over time because organic matter decomposes, builds up, that adds nutrients to the soil. Well, the same thing's true with ecosystem. Companies grow up, people learn things, founders accrue wealth, values created, and then that company might sell or those people might leave that company and start a new company. And that's building soil over time. And we are building soil here in, in the Rockies. And that soil is something that, you know, we've benefited from the soil that was built before us and, and pray that we're continuing to build and not deplete the soil for the generations to come. And I see lots of amazing things happening, whether it's the various accelerators that, that have spun up or the number of funds that are now starting to raise significant capital and the exits that are happening, the valuations that are growing, all of these things are incredibly positive and uh, give us lots of reasons to be optimistic. And ultimately, look, if we call this our home, which Pat and I both do, we're here for the long term. So whether it's wearing a Gan Ventures hat or any other kind of way that we are, yeah, there you go. Look, you got a Gan Ventures hat. For the listeners out there, Les here came prepared. <laughs> hey. This gentleman... He just whipped out again hat like he just, just like happened he, to have it on my yeah, desk. Sure. That is what we're talking about. We will uh, send you a check later for that. Um, thank you very much. But anyway, so yeah, very excited about what's going on here. Pat, I don't know. This is your home as well. Maybe you have a few thoughts. I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. I, I think number one, if you look at where, where frankly most of our most of our top companies have come from all the data reports to our personal network. And, and, and I think, and secondly, also it comes from our accelerator community, which also is an extension of our personal network, but we're defining personal network here as like things outside of our accelerator community. And that's a lot of it's local. So I think what's really interesting about the Denver ecosystem is that it seems like personal network is really important, both for you to navigate and spend time on. I also think as I, people come here and visit Denver, what they say over and over again is it's just like the, the city is there, there's such low ego and such high eagerness to support one another. And I think that just goes, it just means a lot, but it means also as a company, if you can start getting your foot in the door, realize that people's personal network, they're, they're willing to share deals in their personal network, which is really cool. I also think the second thing is if you look at the VC trends, there's a reason Denver is taking off. Prices for companies, valuations are less expensive than other places for right now. And that also that bodes well for, for companies that are in, in building here. I'm not saying it's a, you get a giant discount thing here, but there is somewhat of a discount compared to other places. So I just think as an early stage company, um, it's a good place to start both because people are really well connected here and they want to help you. And because people are willing to put their dollars here, maybe compared to other more expensive places. 
Yeah, the no, I'll tell you, the no ego and lots of eagerness is what I couldn't have been more impressed when I kind of got plugged into that ecosystem in 2015, 2016 timeframe. I mean, it was unbelievable how welcoming and helpful people were. And it's that same network, I feel like, that is continues to grow today. And across, it's pervasive across founders, investors, you, LPs, I mean, you name it, it's everyone. It's really, it's a cultural, I really believe that. What, so we've talked about a lot of great things, good things. What, Pat, what are some of the challenges? I mean, there's gotta be challenges out there for the Northern Rockies founders. What are they? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, if you look at sort of like the share of early stage deal flow, right? So 45% of all funding for venture funding goes to its early stage. And the rest is is for a mid-stage, later stage, and other sort of stages. I just go, there, there's, there is, compared to other regions, there is less mid and later stage funding comparatively. So I think you have to then, in many ways, lead the region to go get your mid and later stage funding, which is just, which is difficult. I think the other thing we're realizing here in the Rockies is I think talent is difficult to find, but it's especially hard to find in, in the general Rockies. And I'm including Montana, Idaho, of course, Wyoming, New Mexico, and, and Colorado here. It's just, there is talent, but there's still not enough, especially when it comes to growth oriented companies. So yeah, I, I think number one, a little bit of later stage funding, especially as it compares to other cities and, and the talent issue seems to be tough. Yeah. Riley, are there any themes you can draw off of that you've seen in region that are either a reason why there's been out of state interest in follow on or like, are there, is there, has anything emerged thematically? Colorado or more broadly? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we're always evaluating what themes are emerging so that we can get better at doing diligence because as generalist investors, we don't <laughs> we don't know anything about anything. But I think, yeah, what I would say is I'll put some more broad level. I'm seeing a lot of companies who are instituting hybrid workforces or are leveraging the fact that this is an awesome place to open an office, but it doesn't have to be where all your people are. And so I think whether it's the larger companies that have come here and opened offices like the Gustos of the world, or uh, even the smaller companies, one of our peer funds, Greater Colorado Venture Fund, Phenomenal Gentlemen. I know They've been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. They, uh, they're working with companies that are in places where it'd be impossible to staff up the way that would need to be. And so that remote nature enables people to, to have the lifestyle of the company and the extended workforce. So I'll say, we'll call it the extended workforce is that one category. I think a second category is, yeah, we do see, um, founders here who are, building infrastructure companies, right? We've had that wave of the, the Twilio's and SendGrids and the world. And I think that's a good thing. Now we're seeing people kind of, people spin out of that and be thinking about API driven platforms. I think we're seeing communications companies as kind of also dovetailing off that. So we have a rich communication cable legacy companies that are here. And that's a part of the soil, if you will. And so those there are founders who are leveraging the insights and building companies. Layer 3 TV was here and there were some other companies in that space. There's an interesting kind of space uh, startup ecosystem here, both funders and founders in the space. And some of that too is because we have soil built from a prior generation of companies, whether that be Ball or Lockheed. And so that there's a lot. I think those things are interesting. But I would also say 
there's plenty of consumer apps. There's plenty of clothing startups. There's plenty of other things happening that wouldn't fit neatly in one of these categories. And they're having a tremendous amount of success. So it's amazing. I mean, it sounds like come one, come all. I mean, there's some great pockets, but also there's just some great momentum in a lot of different directions. So great. Riley, have you seen any out of state interest in the portfolio or how, how's that played out? Like coastal VCs? I mean, any, anything like that coming in yet, moving in on the territory? Yeah, I think, well, specifically Denver and Boulder have been spots of interest for, for the whole time we've been running the fund. And people say, oh, you're there. Can you tell me about what's going on? Or I'm, it's very frequent that somebody's coming out. I think for the broader region, really COVID blew the doors off and people now are interested in a deal no matter where it comes from. And we see this, we see this across the GAN, but we have absolutely seen an incredible amount of momentum for even mainline signing associates, analysts, to make sure they're aware of every deal that goes through the country, really. And so Pat is getting hit up all the time for, let me see the, all, all the names of all the companies who are coming out of the GAN. And, and that absolutely bodes well for the founders in, in the Rocky region. Cool. Pat, before we go to the portion of the episode where we ask you to make predictions about the future, I'd like to ask you one more question in the present. And that is, what is GAN's vision and is it added? I'm curious to know how you got that word. No, less. it's so good. So our vision is for, a, a, you know, uh, like I said earlier, a whole economy, one in which our systems are responsive to the needs, potential, and dignity of all people. And at the end of the day, what I realize both at our company cultures and teams that I coach and, and talk with, so much of what they're trying to do is look at the world as it's a set pie. There's winners, there's losers, even on teams, right? It's like there's limited knowledge. We have to hoard our knowledge. And I think ultimately, let's ultimately I'm craving like visions. They're additive that like just by having that vision, we are adding to the dignity and potential of all people. So I just think if, if you find yourself either with a mentality, vision, a product that you find just by having it detracts from others in some way, it's probably worth evaluating because it probably doesn't seem like it's going to be something that's, again, might be good for humans in the short run, but it might be horrible for humanity in the long run. Yeah. Well, for, for our listeners who didn't get my cheeky question, if you don't follow the Gantt blog, I highly recommend it. Quick plug. Uh, it's gan.co backslash blog. That was one of the was a topic from end of August. So it's worth the read. It's always short and, and to the point. Well, thanks. It's really fun. It's one of my favorite things I get to do every week. So thanks. It's one of the only things you're good at. Oh, thanks. Les. No, I mean, one of the many. I meant many. <laughs> <laughs> I meant many, many. <laughs> No, you're an exceptional blogger, so I, I gotta tease you. Okay. All right, Riley, this one's for you, and it's the it's kind of the last last kind of main question before we do speed round. So, looking forward, what's the future for Gan Ventures? What does it look like? Where where are you going the rest of 2021 and into the sunset? Well, I mean, we're really excited. We we laid an incredible foundation with the founders we got to work with in Fund One. We're kind of coming to the end of Fund One, and we're having some really encouraging conversations about what could be possible in uh, next steps. And so, yeah, I, I can't wait for you guys to hear more. 
<laughs> awesome. I love the teaser. That's great. Uh, Pat, same question to you. What's What's the future of Gayen uh, and Gayen Ventures yeah. look like? Yeah, I, I I love what I get to do. So I think the future of Pat Riley is more of this. I mean, I, I think at the, on the Gayen front, you see a lot more of us empowering, just figure out ways to continue to empower the next wave of accelerators and studios. Both of these groups continue to provide incredible support. So it's just going, let's figure out what that support really means. And then on the Gayen Ventures front, I mean, let's talk about the stats. Quarter two of 2021, there were a record number of unicorns. Quarter two of 2021, record number of financing, $156 billion, of which 70 was raised, 70 billion was raised in the States. We've reached the highest valuations we've ever reached for Series A with 42 million. And you sort of just see this not ending anytime soon, especially knowing that we're also at record highs for dry powder, right? Which is uh, the amount of money that's been committed to VC funds that hasn't been spent yet. So I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, like if you have an idea and want to get funded, you have a pretty good chance of getting funded in this season. And yet I'm just hoping that every startup and every investor continues to just ask themselves, is this company, is, are they going to be additive to every human out there? And if it's not, take a second before we spend the next decade working on this company to make sure that it actually is going to be something that humanity is going to be better off by, uh, having by you investing into this company. Yeah. It's like, what movie do you want the future to be? You know, Blade Runner or something better, right? It's like, got to think there about you go. it. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. Well, Riley Flynn, Pat Riley, super, super fun to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Pat. Thanks so much please? for having us. Yeah. Pat, can you please tell our audience where they can uh, find more about GAN and GAN Ventures online? Yep. Go to GAN.co, G-A-N.co to learn more about GAN. And if you want to go to GAN Ventures, you can go to GAN.co slash engage slash ventures or GANVentures.co to learn more about us. That was good. That's why we do this. Awesome. That's it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time.